This recording of the Third History Symposium on AA History, recorded March 4th through 6th, 2016, was provided by the Sedona Mago Retreat Center and for your exclusive use only. Please do not distribute this talk. Uh, as you may or may not know, I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, it was a delight to be invited here. It's been a, a real adventure. And um, I'm going to just provide uh, a bunch of data, some based on some research I did at GSO and our own Toronto archives. Toronto in uh, Area 83 it does a real great job of preserving our history. And uh, so we've had a number of uh, delegates, of course, and some trustees and many of their uh, notes, uh, their committee notes and that sort of thing are available for uh, Toronto researchers as well. And it was great to uh, get the GSO and meet Michelle and, and a lot of other people who you've seen here today have been kind of mentors to me. AA History Lovers Yahoo group, thank you very much. Like, like where would we be without that resource? I mean, it's just, no one gets attitude there. I mean, if, you're, if you try to spout opinions, you know, you might, you know, get bitch slapped. But, you know, there, there's no stupid questions. If you're brand new and curious about something, uh, you know, you get treated with respect there. Because I was brand new, not to recovery, but, um, you know, I didn't want to be a researcher, I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> but because you've never heard of any of my songs, <laughs> uh, it wasn't uh, going to be a career path for me. I was a, a closet, a closet agnostic. I came to AA, uh, a uh, apostate, a Catholic apostate. I grew up Catholic, and uh, don't smile at that. Or you know the age of reasoning, uh, or it might have been um, the teenage uh, LSD. Uh, you know, I asked the question: If there was no God, man would create one. So, what is it? Hmm. And yeah, I just stopped feeling a lot of the stuff I had just come to believe, right? You know, I hadn't come to believe. I accepted it at face value. And uh, so I started saying, well, if, what if it's not true, right? Well, what are the other possibilities? Skeptics get a bad word, uh, a, a bad name. I mean, there's, uh, I mean, many atheists and agnostics in uh, AA, you know, they grimace a few places in our literature. One is uh, uh, Dr. Bob's feeling sorry for us if we are atheist, agnostic, or have any other form of intellectual pride. And, uh, you know, it's almost anti-intellectual. And, you know, being a skeptic uh, isn't uh, being a cynic. That's quite a different thing. A skeptic is more childlike. But why? But why? But I don't accept that just because. Why, right? And and that's just a, a, a natural, uh, healthy state. So I came to AA, and uh, I was a, I, I came to AA a teenager in 1976. 
and uh, didn't plan on staying. I was just going to get my cousin sober. Because uh, sobriety, uh, I was actually brought to AA. Uh, you know, you shake any family tree, a few alcoholics fall out of it, right? You know, mine's the same. And uh, I'm not the first generation of AA member, right? So, uh, you know, we're a, a notorious family of two-steppers, which is admitted that I was powerless over alcohol. And so are you. And you got to read those 20 questions. I think you're going to pass. And, and let's talk about your drinking, right? You know, just right from 1 to 12. And um, I don't have a book recommending that. And uh, it's not how I counsel people. But, it, you know, I, it, 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 it worked in a mysterious way. Uh, I mean, my mother got sober through Alamon, trying to sober up her second husband. And, um, uh, you know, she put the boots to me every time I got into uh, serious trouble. But, uh, you know, it's not like I didn't think AA worked. You know, my mom's house was full of happy AA people, smoking, drinking coffee, you know, going to meetings and, you know, talking about, did you hear this speaker, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it just, it, it, it wasn't for me. Somehow dying a tragic alcoholic death seemed a more romantic uh, end than living sober. Um, but then when I heard my cousin wanted to get sober, which wasn't totally true, uh, but uh, that's what I believe, hers was a life worth saving. Yeah. You know, Joe, would you take her a few meetings? Yes. I'll be a power of example. I didn't want to really be sober, but I wanted to be a power of example. And it was easy because being a phony in AA is natural for teenage alcoholics. I mean, we have to walk into a liquor store and look like we belong there. We've got to talk to drug dealers and act like we know what we're talking about. We, we got to hang out in bars like we're part of the furniture. But, you know, we need to fake our way through sex and drinking and everything else, right? And uh, so I got to AA. I'm Joe and I'm an alcoholic. That's because that's what Bill said, right? If he'd said, I'm Bill and I'm a unionized pipe fitter, I would have said, I'm Joe, look you right in the eye and said, I'm a unionized pipe fitter. And I probably would have passed the polygraph test. You know, it was just that natural for me. If I call it now hiding out in plain view. I saw what you did to the resistors, right? The people who didn't accept the board. Right? That, you know, resistance was futile, right? The ones who, you, you know, you surrounded them, you teamed up on them. So I just, you know, if I read how it works, it wasn't that whether I believed what the word said or not. I was performing how it works. And I wanted to say it better than the last gal or guy who said how it works. I mean, and I was just there to get my cousin sober, be a good power example, and be on my way. And something happened. Some have heard me say this before. I consider addiction a phenomenon, and I consider recovery, at least my own recovery, a phenomenon. And by that, I mean I I know what addiction is. I can recognize it, but I don't know why I'm at it. I'm 40 years around here, and you know I have a narrative about how I became an addict, but I don't know if it's true. It's just my story. You know, it's my version of the truth. And I know what sobriety is, but I don't know what it was I did that got me sober. Was it the stats? I, I think so, but 
I don't know. Was it the meetings? Well, I wouldn't want to go without them, but, but I don't know. Was it dogged determination? I don't know. Some people say they got sober that way. It, I, I know sobriety when I see it, but I can't explain it. And I've never learned to look someone in the eyes and determine whether they've had their last drink or not, even when I'm looking in the mirror. You know, the people who fight, they surprise us and stay sober, doing everything wrong, disagreeing, you know, totally disagreeable, 20 years sober, right? How'd that happen? You know, those who say all the right things, the slippery eels like me, you know, they, yeah, this is a great meeting, see you next week, and off to the liquor store, right? And then, you know, we don't see them for three months, right? So, uh, I mean, it, it really is many paths to something. <laughs> um, and I wasn't even going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, there were three things I came here to talk about, and I'm going to add a, a 3C, uh, just because of some of the discussion that has been going on on the AA History Lovers site on Yahoo. I am from Toronto, and uh, some people might want to know a little bit more about that, and I can talk about that a bit. Uh, not that that's what my research was based on, but uh, AA history isn't something that happened in the 30s and 40s. I mean, the traditions, you know, those quirky stories that we just can't forget about Ed the Atheist, and that's why we have Tradition 3, or how we came to uh, uh, Rule 62, right? How, how we came to anonymity, all, all those stories. Well, you know, they're happening right now all over again, right? You know, as was discussed earlier. You know, tell a millennial that, you know, posting their medallion on their Facebook page is a public display. No, it's not. No one cares. That's just my friends, right? You know, to a, a Generation X, that's risky business, man. But it's risky business telling someone you're sober in a, in a restaurant. Anyone could be listening, anyone could write it down and repeat it, right? So to, to young people, they just have a different attitude about things. So, so I'm going to talk a little bit about those unbelievers in AA and the meetings they're starting, the world scene for agnostics, uh, what we've been doing with the World Convention, and uh, the unmet need of a pamphlet for uh, humanists, unbelievers, secularists, AA members. I was asked to talk a little bit about labels, and I'll, I'll get to that in a, in a minute. And, and again, I'm going to run through that, and uh, I've got like one slide where you can get more information about the Toronto thing, but I'm, I'm going to be finished early, and uh, if you want to talk about it, we can. When AA was like 1960, we had hundreds of thousands of members. Everyone thought we were doing great. Nothing needed to change. This is amazing. We keep growing. Bill Wilson was wondering, what about the people we let down? What about the people we didn't reach? And uh, his essay, The Dilemma of No Faith, he talked about his own arrogance. And, and I assure you that, um, and, and we see it, you know, in the media, you know, it, it, believers, don't, you know, have uh, the franchise on, you know, intellectual arrogance about our worldview is better than your worldview, right? You know, I hear non-believers all the time saying, you'll outgrow your mythology, just the same way AAs will say, well, you'll eventually save time and see it our way. So, you know, it, it just, 
Um, he, he was concerned about how could we reach him. And he, remember, he went from here to uh, 1965 when he came out with the Responsibility Declaration, right? He was still thinking about it. How can we reach anyone, anywhere? Well, we all have to have that as our creed, right? And 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 it, it seemed to come from this this thing. So I want to invite everyone to be a free thinker because I apologize on behalf of non-believers. We seem to have taken that franchise. That's ours. Free thinker means we're free from religious dogma. But I think the Pope might be a free thinker. I think anybody can be a free thinker. It just depends how they come to their uh, position. You know, if they hold their belief because they were told to, or they never gave it any thought, or because if I didn't believe this, I'd be scared, you're not free. And if you hold it because of your impulses, you're not free either. But uh, a free thinker, uh, they don't rely on the authority of others or their own impulsive knee-jerk reactions. They rely on uh, the evidence. So um, it's a word that can and should belong to everyone because non-believers, what, they're walking through their life without believing in anything? They believe in as much as anybody else, right? You know, um, just like there's a bunch of gods you don't believe in, <laughs> you know, you know, you're still a believer, right? It's, it, it, there just doesn't seem to be yet a universal language. And sometimes because of that, we can say things with the best intentions and offend each other. An atheist is a man with no invisible means of support. <laughs> it wasn't actually the Baptist that came up with that. It was a guy named uh, John Buchan. He's a Scottish guy. He was an author and a diplomat. He uh, actually had, uh, he came out of the gate before us with a, a program of recovery, but somehow it never caught on. 39 steps is just way too complicated. <laughs> It just didn't work. Uh, no, that's actually a detective novel. That's the only lie in the presentation. Uh, uh, so, AA members. Uh, we have a, a, a great statement in uh, the uh, newcomer's pamphlet. And it said, and the question is, well, there's a lot of guys in there. And the answer is, well, the majority of AA members believe we found a solution to our drinking not through individual willpower, but from a power greater than us. Everyone defines that power as he or she wishes. One, many people call it God. That seems to be true. Uh, two, others think of it as the AA group. Right? There's your uh, esprit de corps, your power of example. Right? That's a, a power greater than us. Group of drunks, good orderly direction. And still others don't believe it at all. Don't believe it at all. And uh, there's room in AA for every shade of belief or non-belief. But the question is, is everyone as comfortable as everybody else? Because that's equality, is when we all feel we have the same right to our thoughts, opinions, and, uh, and membership. Uh, so we'll explore that a little bit uh, from the sort of lens of us being free thinkers.
Anyone see a bumper sticker at your home group for this one? There's your atheist. <laughs> yeah, it could be a closet atheist, but uh, you know that, that's a message to me. That you know, wink, wink. Uh, and and uh, Jim Burwell was the first to sort of use the group as his higher power. He didn't uh, give up what he believed to be true and adopt with somebody else. He stopped fighting. He stopped insisting that everybody believe what he believed, and, and he got sober and he got along. And it worked for him. He outlived both co-founders. The issue in Toronto is uh, some of the groups use in their meeting, they read an interpretation of the 12 steps, an agnostic or secular interpretation of the 12 steps. And they didn't invent that idea. It's been around for uh, a long, long time, as I'm about to show you. And, uh, you know, is it, are the steps sacred? Is that, uh, you know, is that forbidden to do that? Uh, can you, you know, can we let them change it? What happens when the young people's groups start using dude as we understand it, right? You know, then it's chaos, and what about the newcomer, then slippery slope, yada, yada, da, right? Uh, so, I mean, that is the issue, and Intergroup took offense to that. Intergroup has a view, uh, and, and you might have a knee-jerk reaction to that, either, of course you can, you know, uh, your own imagination's your own limit, or no, no, you're, you're uh, compromising the integrity of the message. So, what would the author of the 12 steps say about a group that took God out of his 12 steps? Well, here's what Bill Wilson said in the 50s about the first Buddhist groups to do it. To some of us, the idea of substituting good for God in the 12 steps will seem like a watering down of AA's message. But here we must remember that AA's steps are suggestions only. A belief in them as they stand is not at all a requirement for membership among us. This liberty has made AA available to thousands who never would have tried it had, they, had we insisted on the 12 steps just as written. Now, many people would never go to a regular AA meeting and they come to our meeting, and we say, look, it's not contagious. You know, go to step meetings, go, go to the other meetings, right? You know, we'll, we'll link you if you want, right? You know, uh, like I've been here 40 years, no one's told me, uh, you know, uh, well, other than Toronto Intergroup, but you got to understand something about Toronto Intergroup. They got enough rules to run a small country. They delisted the first non-smoking group in Toronto for having two requirements for membership. Nope, you're right. That I found in the Toronto Intergroup minutes. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's just their culture. It's not about traditions, it's about power. And we're not talking about the creator power, we're talking about how dare you not ask permission, our permission. And, you know, group's attitude should be about the service structure. If we want your opinion, we'll give it to you. Uh, so, agnostic groups aren't exactly taken over the world. There's uh, under 300 of them now. There's probably over 300 meeting nights a year around the world. But it, it's, a, it's, it's 
it should be comforting to everybody that as our you know overall community has a, a growing secular population or people who don't identify um, from a religious point of view, our AA is meeting that need. For some of them, it is either their only safe harbor or at least a stepping stone into uh, you know sort of full AA engagement. Uh, and something very important happened in 2002, and that is the New York uh, groups put up a world directory of all AA groups. And a lot of us found that we might have come from a small community, we were closet agnostics, thinking everyone's having this white light experience and we're not, and we better maintain a low profile. And we found out there's these groups and maybe we're not alone. And, and uh, the inner group, the internet, um, really changed uh, a lot of lives. So, um, uh, yeah, there's uh, the numbers. Um, and uh, just a little discussion about the uh, law of unintended consequences. Toronto Inner Group delisted two groups, and another one started, so they had to have another meeting to delist that one too. <laughs> and uh, there are now 11 in Toronto. And, and, and I wonder, if they had minded their own business, yeah. would there be two? Would there be 11? Would there be 30? Uh, I, I think AAs vote with their feet. And, you know, they responded to that by supporting the groups that they believed in. And, and many of the people who come, it's not because they don't have a higher power concept. It's because they believe in a pluralistic society for AA, and they, you know, they don't feel excluded from the agnostic groups because of their theistic values, uh, but they just want to be there to lend their support. They want their two dollars going in that bucket, not in the inner group bucket. And we're still uh, a welcome part at district, at area, and uh, they, they never wink, right? You know, it was just, oh, welcome. We need someone to do the CAMH treatment center. Are you guys available? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, tomorrow night, get on the phone. <laughs> okay, so Roger, at um, uh, a recent conference, you can go to this site and either get the transcript or listen to it. It's heartfelt. He talks about the experience of, you know, first resisting AA, then feeling I'm home in AA, then being kicked to the curb by his local AA, and just, I mean, that it's like a double stigma, right? You know, okay, you, you're a threat to society, you're an alcoholic, or you're a threat to AA, you're a non-believer. Like, wow, it's the last house on the block. Imagine, if you will, one alcoholic judging another. Uh, but here's a little bit of how it happened. Someone's talking about punctuality. Uh, there, the uh, quad A groups in uh, Chicago, um, one of them never starts on time. They think punctuality is a disease. <laughs> they often run late, you know, they often break into sort of song and someone playing on the piano and like it's kind of like a Mardi Gras meeting. We're more orderly in Toronto, but I, I gotta get there and try that. Uh, and uh, so, so they got started uh, that's where it sort of started in, in North America. 
And shortly thereafter, they probably didn't know anything about the Chicago meetings, but a guy named Charlie P. Anyone know Charlie P. from California? He started a group in Hollywood, right? Okay, yeah, and then he went on to Austin and started another one there. And uh, in uh, New York, uh, what happened actually is uh, Charlie ran an ad in a magazine called The Humanist, which is sort of a sort of secular, spiritual magazine uh, about uh, sort of you know agnostic AA, and someone found it in uh, New York and uh, got in touch with them, and uh, you know they started the meeting, and, and for the longest time it was three people meeting in their apartment, and now there are 16 uh, groups in New York City, hardly taking over, but uh, at least they're meeting the need. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I said before that the big thing that happened for everybody is, um, is Fred from Georgia here? I just wanted to thank him. Uh, one of the things I got to do at the uh, General Service Office was listen to, ever since, uh, 1995, We Agnostics has been a panel at the World Convention. And, and that had been, like, again, I, finally we're no longer alone experience for a lot of members of, of AA. The first one, a Montrealer by the name of Jacques, he was a member of the Serendipity Group in, uh, well, Point Claire, Quebec, it's a suburb of Montreal, um, and uh, he chaired it, and Moreau uh, um, from California, and Mel B from New York were speakers, and they only had two, and then they asked for a female volunteer, and they just came up from Arizona and uh, talked to them. Uh, uh, same thing in Mini. There's a little asterisk on 2010, because that was, uh, I just listened to it. It's a fine meeting, but it was more a <coughs> chapter four, we agnostics kind of, uh, you know, you know, I resisted, I came to believe. And, Honestly, it wasn't uh, some sort of conspiracy against non-believers. Someone said, hey, can you chair the We Agnostics panel? What's that? Well, let me look in the book. Okay, yeah, I follow that, yeah. Uh, again, it was a disappointment to some non-believers thinking it was going to be, you know, they had their placards and everything. <laughs> we believe in something, not nothing, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> and, uh, but... It, Oddly enough, the, the one set of tapes I couldn't get was the Toronto ones. And I was at the Toronto conference, but I, I don't know, I was talking to a newcomer or something for that, you know, hour. I, I didn't get to the meeting. And, uh, GSO didn't have the Toronto set of tapes. So if anyone owns those, GSO doesn't have them. And they could, they, they would look, talk to Michelle. They would love to have copies of all of the speakers if you got like a whole collection of CDs from the Toronto conference because they're lacking them, but on uh, the Yahoo group, Fred reached out to me and said, yeah, I got him. What's your email address? So, so that was great. We had our first ever We Agnostics and Freethinkers International AA convention in Santa Monica, and some of you were there. And it wasn't just, you know, non-believers uh, doing our non-believer thing, right? Being skeptical of each other. Uh, it was... You know, the rest of the AA community coming out and lending support, seeing this as a, you know, AA history in the making, a first time event, you know, let's be part of it, let's show our support. It was 
a, a life-altering experience for, for many. Uh, there were people from Turkey, people from England, France, Canada, the U.S. And the next one will be in Austin, Texas, November 11th and 13th. You're all invited. Uh, okay, now this is what I did my research on. I found this on the internet, and uh, this says, I found it on, actually it's uh, Area 17, that's Hawaii, isn't it? It's called The History Proposal to Create a Pamphlet for the Non-Believer Agnostic Atheist. And uh, it just listed a bunch of these dates that the, uh, that the AA Fellowship asked the literature desk, uh, hey, you got one for women, you got one for the LGBT community, you got a few for young people, uh, armed forces, how about us, right? It's not going to be a bestseller. <laughs> but, you know, uh, why don't we tell our story in our own way so we don't look like uh, second-class citizens here? And the unfortunate thing for many of us, the sad thing is, it, it's, it still never happened. It got, it, it got enthusiastically reviewed by the 1975 Trustee Committee uh, and forwarded to the 76th Committee that just said, we don't need that, and put it away. Now, in all fairness, that year, a pamphlet came out called uh, So You Think You're Different. Yeah, yeah. And it had, uh, it already had a story of an atheist in it, and they, they added one more story of an, an agnostic as well. They were going to have a Spanish speaking, they took that out, and they added that. So, so uh, uh, an accommodation, to a certain extent, was, was made there. And uh, in 81, again, a member writes in, trustee does looks at it, says, well, we don't have, anyone here need that? No, nope. okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, some of the meetings were in camera, and they did have notes just that they met, and so, you know, it just, but, you know, they just had other bigger fish to fry. Uh, because none of these things were a conspiracy where they were working it, uh, in collection against a minority in AA. Uh, now, in 89 and uh, 95, now these are areas where a district brought to the area, hey, we need something like this, and they got substantial unanimity to have their delegate bring it to the desk, and those got to the uh, uh, trustee committee, and they forwarded on to the conference committee which, for whatever reason, said not at this time. And, you know, the sad thing is, it appeared that nobody saw the big picture, right? That, that the problem with the spirit of rotation, right? There's no sort of history going on. And then it, it happened in, in sort of rapid succession. And then, so I, I saw this document, I found this document when I was doing some other research for uh, a book I was writing, which was uh, uh, Beyond Belief, it's uh, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. Uh, the short version of the story is, I went to the bookstore to find a secular daily reflection book, and they didn't have one. And I stomped out there all angry, and I complained to my AA friends, and I said, that's not fair, how could they? And someone said, Joe, you've been writing for 20 years. You're sober for 30. Why don't you do it? 
No rebuttal. <laughs> Usually good there, you know, on, you know, under pressure, but, and so, yeah, if I'd known how long it would take, I might not have done it, but, uh, anyway, I, you know, I, I, I found this thing, and, and it, and, and then I, I developed a real interest, and I got a copy of this, and I have a, you can, you can download this off, off the website, and it turns out that in 2008, uh, when uh, they went to GSO, someone there, this is unauthored, it's 10 pages and unauthored, someone there provided to them the, this history. And when I went to GSO, uh, I sent this to Michelle, and Michelle can't find it. And so it, 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 you know, I said, oh, okay, so I guess someone in area, uh, 17 made it, and I talked to Rich there, and he said, no, no, they sent it to us, right? So it's it's one of the, the mysteries that I'm bringing to you, uh, would be, or already active researchers, that still needs to be answered. And then again, um, uh, Ward talked about a, a pamphlet that originally had 200 stories, again, it was what the agnostic community really wanted, we just want to tell our story candidly in our own language about addiction, recovery, and what AA means to us. And, uh, you know, the community felt like uh, many paths, I mean, it was, this is the first time that we were rejected by AA as a whole because it was it was the um, general service conference that said no not on our watch this isn't happening send send us something else and we found the uh um you know many paths to be a consolation prize that didn't you know like if you're doing it for women if you're doing it for young people if we're members like everybody else you know we're just asking you to treat us like everybody else and what's the problem? Why do you see us as a threat? And uh, so that was that was tough to take. Uh, but the good news, uh, the grapevine, uh, one month this fall, is devoting an article. Uh, I mean, there's going to be many stories, but especially looking at atheists and agnostics in AA. And there is some talk, you know, just going around the campfires of districts and should break fine, like they've made sober and out and young people. I mean, there's already, if you hunt through the archives of grapevine, some wonderful stories by atheists and agnostics in AA. And with this new one, there's probably going to be another 20 or 30. And uh, there are some people who will remain anonymous in this room who will be contributing to that. So I encourage you to buy it. And uh, so this is this is good news. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, uh, okay, so this is uh, just for your own uh, research. Uh, the top one is uh, where I found that proposal thing. I won't read it all out. You can do that on your own. Here's a, a disturbing thing. It, it's called uh, the White Paper on Non-Believers. Uh, and this was something that uh, was actually uh, circulated to uh, Toronto Intergroup members uh, before the vote. And it's an anonymous AA member who loves AA as much as I do, I'm sure of that, I don't know who it is, but who, who takes the position that 
it was wrong to ever include agnostics and atheists, that the true purpose of AA is to bring someone in line with God, uh, you know, a God God, not a group of drunks God. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we should not accommodate them. There were two calls to action. And uh, one was to write in and oppose this pamphlet. And any of you who were on that uh, committee saw an unusual number of people writing opposing a pamphlet that they shouldn't even know was coming. And uh, so they're effective. And, and they were certainly this fear-mongering. Uh, I mean, maybe they're right, you know, uh, but uh, not, not, not from my point of view. Uh, um, but uh, it was very effective at Toronto in the group. Somehow they, they saw that as some authority to uh, discriminate against uh, the agnostic atheists uh, in there. So yeah, there's a great uh, Chicago Tribune article about the first 20 years of Quad A. Join any of these groups or just read the blogs. There's a huge amount of history there. Uh, Ernie Kurtz uh, said uh, to uh, uh, Roger, uh, that AA owes you a great debt of gratitude, but it'll take a while before uh, you hear it. And of course, Ernie didn't live to see it. And um, uh, there's a whole community, Facebook, uh, you know, the inter-world, uh, where there are secret groups where you can go and log on and everybody's welcome to any coffee shop places. So check them out. Mysteries to uncover, yeah. So where did this come from? I'm kind of curious about that, still working on it. Uh, the white paper, uh, what kind of impact do you think that has? Have a look at it. You know, personally, uh, it's the mind camp of AA literature, but uh, you might be more sensitive to it. Uh, and, you know, zero out of 10 attempts, like what, what does that mean? Uh, I mean, is that, is that, organized systemic discrimination? Is that just, you know, you can flip a coin 10 times and have it come up heads 10 times, you know, it's just, that's just how it goes? Um, or, or, you know, is there, you know, is there a, a way we can do better? I mean, what, what does that really mean? Um, but the good news for atheists and agnostics is, uh, you know, publishing companies like AA or anything else that aren't they don't hold the keys to the castle anymore. Anyone can uh, write a book and express their beliefs. And in 1990, two women joined together to write a book about uh, a secular guide to recovery. It wasn't a bestseller, uh, but I liked it. Uh, Philip Z, actually no A member, but uh, he was also a psychologist and uh, wrote a book. Um, uh, 40 years sober, uh, John from New York City, free thinker in AA. Uh, he's what I would call like a right-wing free thinker. Uh, you only, you know, in take what you like and leave the rest. 24-hour day program, fellowship, to heck with all the rest. He's still a grumpy old guy, but he's still sober. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, Raya Hornbacker, a very famous writer before she ever became an AA uh, member, waiting, uh, non-believers, higher power. I wrote a daily reflection book, which I was very honored to get to know Ernie Kurtz through that process. Um, he always called me Joe and asked how my mom was, and 
I, I could never get over my hero worship for him, and I still call him Dr. Kurtz. Uh, the Little Book, which is uh, a collection of alternative 12 steps, uh, and Roger didn't write any of these, he just found them, just people that are using alternative, and there are native, pagan, all kinds of things, common sense recovery. Um, uh, this one's a, a British one, an atheist unofficial uh, guide uh, to AA for newcomers, and uh, that's kind of like sitting down at a coffee shop with your atheist friend and saying, how do you explain this AA? He kind of writes the book that way. Um, I just don't like the fact that he's got the apostrophe in the wrong place, but you know, that's pretty petty, Joe, pretty petty, okay. Um, okay, so the Toronto situation, someone asked me this, I hear someone suing AA. In Ontario, we have something called the Human Rights uh, uh, Commission. I mean, AA's been in Ontario longer than they have. Uh, but there's no grandfather. So, uh, I mean, you just, you can't discriminate who you rent a room to, you can't, you know, discriminate who you hire, you can't, based on sexual orientation or gender or creed uh, or so on and so forth. So, um, one member of one of our groups filed a complaint, said, hey, these guys are kicking us out just because we're agnostic. And uh, so they're hearing that. And both Toronto Intergroup and AA World Services uh, were named in it. And I can tell you, AA World Service was, hey, not my circus, not our monkey. You know, like, uh, we're in New York, right? We, we got nothing against these groups, right? You know, um, and they said, well, uh, do these, does this Intergroup operate under the name Alcoholics Anonymous? Well, yes, it does. Do you uh, sell books or literature to the people of Ontario? Well, yes, we do. Well, you have a fiduciary responsibility to the people of Ontario. And while no one's been found guilty of any wrongdoings, or, uh, you know, they are still sort of on that, and that this is going to happen in the next little while. Right? If you want to hear more about this, I can tell you more about it. Like, I. You know, I come as an ambassador, right? You know, I'm neither for nor against. Uh, I don't think something bad will come of it. Uh, I trust AA. I trust, uh, you know, they will uh, look at it through a lens of their own language. And their language includes a duty to accommodate. And, and in the same way that if you run a pizza shop and give all the Christians Christmas off, you would have to give someone from another religion, a Hindu or a Muslim, uh, their religious holidays off. You would have to accommodate them because they hold a, a different belief system. Um, uh, we need to accommodate people in employment by making things accessible so that if you have a physical disability, it doesn't exclude you from being involved in public transit or, or so on and so forth. You are obligated, if you operate in Ontario, to have a, uh, a policy that states that everyone should be free of harassment and discrimination and, and a procedure uh, that if you have a complaint to make one. So Intergroup doesn't have a, a policy and it doesn't have a procedure where this member could have filed his own complaint and sort of a system for doing it internally. So they're, they're kind of off book there. 
Now, the weird thing, and I'll just close with this, um, is there are exceptions. And like, for instance, a uh, if you are a religion, like you can discriminate. A Catholic church can overlook a more qualified Jewish or Protestant teacher because they want a Catholic teacher to teach in their Catholic school. Um, a women's rape crisis center can say, we can't help you to a male rape victim because they're, they're set up to, uh, to help, a, you know, one particular gender. They can, they can discriminate in that way. And so if AA was a religion, it would be excluded from the uh, procedure. And the only reason I bring this up, it was posted on uh, a few blogs, but uh, this will be intergroup's defense. The respondent, GTAI, submits that the Alcoholics Anonymous Recovery Program follows 12 steps and the these steps involve a belief in God. Intergroup submits that evidence indicates that its purpose is to practice the 12 steps and practice a belief in God. In order to be part of GTAI, a group must be prepared to practice the 12 steps and thus the members of the group must have a belief in God. They go on to say, uh, that AA is a fellowship of men and women that share their common desire to achieve sobriety, and that it is a bona fide requirement that groups that wish to be part of this inner group have to believe in the higher power of God. That's their words, not mine. So, you know, you paint yourself into a corner, where does it end, right? You know, so, I mean, many attempts were made to resolve this in the AA, you know, uh, you know, time heals all wounds kind of thing, and you know, it's just come to this, and uh, I don't know what will come of it, but you know, you gotta pick the devil you're going to dance with. <laughs> you know, I mean, they could have danced with the agnostic groups, but now they're dancing. I mean, I read the inner group minutes, and it's not like the members voted on this, you know, and so they they're going to have their own. You know, I, I don't know what's going to come of it, but uh, I know it'll be page eight news eventually. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, and uh, that that'll be a, a good thing. And there's a break right after this. And uh, you know, uh, again, I got no agenda. You know, I'm just a spectator like everybody else. Uh, but if you have any other questions about it, or or, or any of the things I've talked about. Uh, please uh, feel free to stick around during the break. Uh, here is a site. Uh, the Ontario Human Rights Commission is actually having a seminar, April, a webinar, April 12th, on issues of creed. So if you wanted to log on and see what you know their position is on the broader subject, it isn't because of this particular incident, feel free. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, I run a website called Rebellion Dogs Publishing. Where's that line come from? Rebellion dogs are every step, exactly. Uh, step seven, uh, 12 and 12. And uh, yeah, so uh, uh, there's my phone number. Uh, there's my email address. Uh, you'll have these slides. And 
Uh, thanks for letting me share. This recording and other recordings from the Sedona Recovery Series are available for purchase on the website sedonamagoretreat.org forward slash recovery series.